0: Imagine this, you sum up all of the courage you have to do things that the most the dearest, most close people in your world are telling you not to do. You know in your heart it's the right thing to do. Of course, society is telling you no, your job, your parents, some a lot of people in your life who you care about and respect, they're saying don't do it. You sum up the courage, you make the decision and you start to go. You leave You wave goodbye to everybody. You're literally, it's your last day at the job. You're, you're, you know, waving on your way out the door. You close the door behind you. You turn around. And as you first, your first two or three steps away from walking out of your job, walking out of your entire previous life in a way. And then the phone rings. You pick up the phone. And in that one phone call, everything changes. That is just one fraction of something that I cover with our guest today in this show, you are going to love this woman. Jody McDonald is an absolutely spectacular photographer, an award-winning photographer. She is no stranger to adventure and exploration. National Geographic lists Jody as one of the nine female adventure photographers who pushed the limits. Men's Journal names Jody one of the 25 most adventurous women of the past 25 years, and... The list goes on in the furthest, the most untamed corners of our planet. She spent her formative years, get this, in Saudi Arabia before sailing around the world multiple times over the course of a decade. She's been to more than 90 countries. She's train hopped in the Sahara and paraglided in the Himalaya. If you want to talk about a remarkable life and a very, very non-traditional life, you are going to just melt when you listen to Jody McDonald tell her story. So many stories, uh, adventures around the world, adventures both externally and internally, wrestling with life's biggest questions. You are going to love this conversation with Jody so much. I can't wait. You're just gonna, you're gonna melt. I'm gonna get out of the way, but before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor, and then you'll be off with Jody. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Life for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Life. So whether you love passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like me, or on the other side, if, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people—that's right, 75% of people—say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to creative Live's newest product. It's called creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of CreativeLive's content for your entire team and or entire company, and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So, it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, the most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness… And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world all on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creative slash teams to learn more. All right, friends, let me set the stage here. I'm um, with Jody McDonald in some hotel <laughs> in, in, in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are. We've both been summoned here by our community and our dear friends to gather for um, the Rome Awards, which Rome is a, an adventure community, um, and has a, a heart of gold and a soul of adventure. But also, a photography and film and video and, and um, the written word are some core tenets of this community and. That's one of the things we're here to celebrate. We're gonna hand out some awards and um, with you and I both being photographers and my appreciation for Jody and her work and the causes that you've been a part of. Um, I've been ad- admiring your work from afar from, for a long time. So um, for those of you listening at home, we are like again, literally in, a, in the corner of a cafe here and um, I'm just super grateful to get to spend some time with you and I wanna say thanks for being on the show.
1: I'm so excited to be here, Chase, and it's great to finally meet you. And yeah, I mean, yeah it's weird—never
0: no face-to-face contact until now. And actually,
1: and, I I was on a summit at sea boat with you. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh my um, god. And I saw you. I saw you from like across the room or something. But you know, oh, those boy. things. Those things are so crazy. So. Yeah, there's like, like four thousand yeah. people yeah. on a boat, right?
0: Yeah. Um, well, here we are. Yeah. And I always have to confess at some point because there, there's there's a conversation that happens as we're getting the gear set up and as the cameras start rolling but I'm so fascinated by A, your life story and B, the most recent arc of your career which um, you've got a couple of curveballs that I want to touch on but before we do for people who are new to you or your work um, go take us back to the beginning a little bit about how A, you got started in photography and how you chose that as a means of expression And, and I know you were um, we had a, a childhood that was spent in a different part of the world. So for those folks who are new to your work, give us a little background.
1: Yeah, well, I, unfortunately, I'll have to take you back to the very beginning. That's I, where I, we want to go. I, I think that's where it all really starts for me. Um, but I was born in Canada and I moved to Saudi Arabia when I was two years old. My my dad worked for a Canadian telephone company and they got a big contract to set up the telephone system there. So I moved at the age of two and I lived there two two to 16. Wow. Yeah. So all my, you know, all, all my formidable years were, were there. And one of the perks that my parents got for going over there to work was uh, the company gave my dad an allowance to go on vacations. So, and my parents always said when they wanted to make some money, they would go on vacation because the company would give them a certain amount of money and then they would just find like the discounted deals and everything. But (laughs) my parents had never been anywhere. So they were like, we're taking full advantage of this. So every, you know, school break, Christmas holidays, summer holidays... My parents were like, we're going somewhere around the world, a different country. We're just, we're going to do it. So by the time I left when I was 16, I'd seen a, a really big part of the planet. And I think um, that really, I think combined with living in Saudi and, and getting to see a lot of different cultures and countries um, really instilled in me this love of travel and adventure. But just how incredible the world is. Yeah. and it, I always say it kind of reminded, like, it made me want to become Indiana Jones. Like, I just was like, you know, where can I go on the next adventure? And I want it to be, like, remote and, or, you know, just, yeah. just yeah. So, um.
0: Wow, what a huge impact on your whole life, right? I guess yeah. those formative years being, yeah. yeah, wow.
1: Yeah, and so when I you know, moved back to Canada when I was 16, I, you know, tried to integrate back into school and, you know, none of no kids had been anywhere and you know this stuff we were learning in the textbooks I was like oh yeah I've been there and I you know seen it first yeah, Istanbul
0: and, sure I know yeah I that yeah one.
1: and so I actually made me have a hard time relating yeah. to a lot of my classmates and and a lot of them didn't even want to travel anywhere like they would kids would say to me like why do you want to go somewhere else we're in like, central
0: Canada it's awesome and
1: I was like <laughs> yeah and I was like wait what yeah. I mean how do you even say that how could you not want to go yeah hotel these other places so there was you know readjusting back into you know Canada. the Canadian landscape where our school yeah. was really challenging for me and then um, but I still uh, always really into adventure and sports when I was in high school I played a ton of sports and then in university I ended up getting a bachelor in outdoor recreation because I really just wanted to do something that I was really passionate about and yeah. that was the closest thing to it. And I wanted to be an outdoor guide. And and then when I was doing that, I took an elective um, in photography. And growing up too, I'd always really been into art. So my, yeah. my main things were art and sports. And then when I took my photography elective, it was just like lightning striking. I was like, wow, I can, I can combine my love of you know art and adventure I can document these outdoor experiences I'm having. So if I'm rafting or kayaking or climbing or skiing or whatever, I can, you know, these amazing places I'm going to, I can, I can document them. So yeah, that was really, I mean, I instantly fell in love with photography and then being in the dark room. I just loved, I loved all of it, the whole process of it. And I really love the immediacy of it because I'm a perfectionist. So when um, like I'd do a piece of art, it would take me forever to do it and I, that would drive me crazy and it would prevent me from doing it because yeah. I was like, I don't want to spend six months on drawing something, yeah. you know, but photography, it was just like, bam.
0: It's and freakish how similar our backgrounds are. Really? Like I was art and sports and yeah. I, I never could get them to go together. Right. And the, well,
1: and they're hard thing to go together. The,
0: for sure. Especially yeah. growing up in the time and place and, and whatever, the culture that I was in that they, they were like oil and water. And so, part of the, um, my challenge was trying to figure out how to um, represent those two parts of me, and I, it literally took me until my twenties to figure that out. Right. But I was also um, curious of what you said is a um, just putting these two things together, like oh, I like adventure and I like photography, and I could put them together. Right. And did you? Was there a lot of pushback? In yeah, your I mean, world I think and, you know,
1: society in yeah. general. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, is always like you know, you got to get a real job, especially in. I would say in university, you know, kids are so there's so much pressure for them to major in something that they're going to pursue as a career. Yeah. And so kids were like, I'm going to be a I'm going to be a teacher because I only have to do a year of to get my teaching certificate. And then I get my yeah, Yeah. and then I get my summers off. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wait a second, (laughs) that that doesn't. You know, you know, that's a tail wagging the dog. Yeah, right I was there, like, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't work, and I definitely don't want to do that. So yeah. I was seeing examples around me of what I really didn't want to do, yeah. and I didn't want to waste money my my well my parents' money yeah. <laughs> to be there. Yeah. You know, I was like, I I yeah. want to do something I'm really passionate about, and and so when society is. It, it's like an indirect pressure, right? Yeah.
0: Um, but it's significant. I, I talk about it a lot.
1: Right. It's very impactful. But I think my because my childhood was very non-typical. Yeah. That it allowed me to give the confidence to just go screw, screw you. Yeah. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do what I love. And to me, I, I know that that is the most important thing. And that still drives me like yeah. constantly today, every day,
0: really. Well, it was that. Do you feel like that was? familial or was that you the human and you were strong enough and confident enough and
1: Yeah, I mean I think I'm fortunate enough to have this amazing family mm. and
0: just the willingness to move overseas when your kid is two.
1: Well, yeah, and bold. you know, and I talked to my parents about that now. I was like, "You must have had a huge pushback moving to the Middle East during that time." And my parents said, "Yeah, everybody, friends, family, nobody wanted them to go." Mm. And you know, it was my mom, actually. It was just like, we're going. Yeah. We're going for it. So, that you know, definitely I, I have that influence. Yeah. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have that influence from my family.
0: Um, I think that's a, a very telling and beautiful story that, I, that regardless of those folks who are listening right now, like whether your passion is photography or design or, you know, whatever, something that you are, Passionate or connected to, but isn't really socially approved, or the the social pressure is um, points away from the thing that you're passionate about rather than towards it. Right. Um, Your thing, and specifically, is obviously fascinating to me, and I think to a lot of folks. But to keep this sort of thread of the non-traditional lifestyle alive, um, let's put a pin in. That's a a beautiful way of discovering photography that you could document these things. Was it a was it a light bulb moment? when you just like literally step foot in this class or was it a did you have to try on like wear the wear the the suit of armor of photography or uh, go on a handful of different journeys and find out that you could actually do it and you, you could combine them and that was a great way of documenting and then how did you figure out the business side of it like that's all very non-traditional and what didn't sound like you went to you you assisted and and, you know what was your your path was a very different path so So, keep keep chronicling that a lot of
1: it's self-taught but I just wanted to mention though quickly like even though I did have the support of my parents don't get me wrong like they were scared shitless the whole time saying like you know, oh man, are you sure? You know, like we really want you to get a real job, good bunny. You know, because yeah. that's my parents' generation too. Yeah. You get a good job, you hold on to it, and you, yeah. you know, get the benefits yeah. and the security behind that. Yeah. So, yeah, don't get me wrong. My parents were supportive, but also, you know,
0: also pragmatic. Also, and,
1: yeah. yeah, very pragmatic. Yeah. So, um, but in terms of um, photography, yeah, I mean, I, I think on one level, you know, looking back at it was. A light bulb moment, but at the same time, I think it grew very organically for me. So, because during photography class, they'd give you assignments, and yeah. because I was majoring in outdoor recreation, I was going on, you know, a, a one month climbing trip. Yeah. And so I could go do the projects for my photography, you know, on the trip. Yeah. So, it, and it, it became, it came together very quickly because yeah. of that relationship that yeah. was happening. And um, and then after school, I just kept I became a guide and I started raft guiding in Alaska and doing these trips. And always I was always trying to, you know, looking back, get off the beaten path and and do something a little bit different than most people were doing. I didn't want to be where the crowds were. I didn't want to, you know, um, go to all the climbing spots that everybody was going to. I wanted to kind of venture off the beaten path. And I always thought that was more interesting and then to be able to document that was always just really excited about it.
0: So a follow-on question, there are two paths, two things I want to pull on. One is great, you want to document that, but who are you documenting it for? That's one thread. And then the second thread is there's a clear, um, I think a clear pulse of wanting to do something different and wanting to live an alternative lifestyle. And so... I want to take each of those in turn so let's take the first one first which is great you want to document your rafting and your climbing and uh, but when when you're documenting it are you just accumulating slide film and putting it in your drawer or you know what was your first sort of experience well I
1: I think initially which was great was because I I had the class was giving me purpose behind the photography got it so had assignments. Yeah, we had assignments. So then and when and, and and that's everything, I think, when you're yeah. when you're being a photographer. You need that purpose. You need like an assignment. Even if it's a self assignment, you need yeah. it. And um, yeah, so that was great. And that gave me purpose. And then after that, I think it was a lot for myself. Yeah. I think it was a lot to show other people. And then I think it was also about sharing how again, how amazing the world is. Yeah. Like the stuff that
0: well, you saw that growing up, yeah, right? You saw how the diversity and just the,
1: experience, like the places I'm going to. It's just like I want to share that. Yeah. It's just magic, you know. And you want to you want to share that with people. And I so a lot of it was going nowhere. A lot of it yeah. was going into d- drawers after college, you know. Mm-hmm. But I still was so passionate about it that I could not not do it. So
0: that's fascinating. So, if you. What's the transition for you? Because I'm I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the people listening to this and they're they're either bought in and they are already doing the things that you're doing and they're saying, yes, exactly, or they're curious. Right. And they're saying, hmm, how do I apply that to my world? So clearly there has to be this jump-off point or this transition where you go from putting your slide film in drawers or you've showed it to a few people like, here's my you know climbing trip in moab and here's my um diving trip in belize
1: yeah
0: you know dot 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 Fill in other places that you've been and seen and things yeah. you've done yeah but how what's the transition for you from yeah. making it from the being a rafting guide yeah
1: yeah
0: to identifying not necessarily as a guide but as a as a professional creator
1: right and i get asked this question all the time because everybody wants to know that secret right mm-hmm. um so for me, I eventually moved to Vancouver, Canada, and I started working at Mountain Equipment Co-op, which is Canadian version of REI. Yep. And I found out who the photography editor was, and he we became really good friends and I kept asking about the job and asking about the job and like what, you know what's it like and what do you do and all this stuff and then he was leaving and he said hey you know this job's coming up as photo editor for mountain equipment co-op and i was like i don't know if i can get it but i'm you know i'm gonna apply for it and i ended up getting the job and so i became the photographer photo editor for the company and i worked that job four years so i got a that was i would say that connecting point where i I was in the back end. I wasn't being a photographer, I was just yeah. editing, but yeah. that was a huge learning curve oh for gosh. me on the back end, yeah, and then I happened to start dating this paraglider and a Bush pilot who was a surfer and a Bush pilot in Alaska, and he was this really gregarious guy and he when I started dating him, he would come visit me in Vancouver because he lived down in Oregon, and he would say, man, this you know office work is sucking your soul like you." He called it the cave, where I worked in the cave because I was like in the basement of this building and he was just like, man, you, you you know, you got to get out there and live like this is not good. And after working there for four years, I I wasn't being challenged anymore. Like I knew the job really well. And I thought, you know, he's right. I'm like, I'm not learning anything anymore and I'm not challenging myself anymore. It's time to move on. And then I was, so I quit my job. I packed up all my stuff and was getting ready to go. And we were just going to do a road trip. We were going to drive down the West coast. We were going to paraglide and surf and just, and I was going to give myself like three, four months or who knows how long, yeah. just to figure, yeah. figure it out. Right. Yeah. And it was my last day at work, 12 o'clock. Um, he's actually paragliding in Sun Valley. And I was going to leave at like two, I was done. Everybody was saying goodbye. And I get a phone call that said he had died like half an hour before in a paragliding accident and so my life just was like whoa (laughs) like this is crazy and so I went through that whole process of grieving of course and then I had just quit everything given up my apartment and so I didn't know what to do and um, everybody was pressuring me to just get my job back and just get my life back. And I was like, I can't do that. I had already closed the doors on that. That would be me working backwards. Yeah. And I, I can't do that. I need to move forwards. And I don't know what I'm gonna do next, but yeah, I just, I gotta keep going. And so after the funerals and everything, I just decided to do the road trip that we were gonna do, but I Amazing. did it by myself. And wow. I just took that time as like healing and grieving process. and. You know, I, I don't think you can ever heal from a death. It's not, you know, there's no definitive point to that. But during those, those like, critical months or first year after um, you have a close person that dies, like, those are critical months. And so, I, I yeah, I just spent that just being alone and a lot of it being alone and meeting new people who didn't know the backstory, yeah. which was really, really important for my healing process. Fascinating. Because if I was around anybody who knew me and knew about Chris and his death, um, they just felt sorry for me. And it brought, it brought, it, it also moved me backwards. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to be, well, I definitely wanted to be around people who didn't know, who didn't know my story, who yeah. didn't know what happened, who just treated me like normal. Yep. And that really, really helped me. And then, um, I'll try to go through this really quickly, but then I, I moved to Sun Valley, and there was a, where, where Chris died, and I, I was a paraglider as well, and there was a great paragliding community there, and they didn't treat me any differently there, and I just felt really healthy. Anyway, I, I ended up living there for a little while, and then I met um, another guy who said, hey, I run a sailboat charters in the South Pacific. Do you want to come with me? Uh, it, and I was like, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I can always I can always come back to yep. whatever I'm doing here, but I can't always have the opportunity to go sail in the South Pacific. So, yeah, I'm going to go for it. And um, I, I went and we, the boat was on the hard in New Zealand when I went there, and we were living out of a Volkswagen in the shipyard trying to do all this repair work. And I was just like, this is really shitty. It's like, not, not, not what I pictured. This is kid. not good. And then, um, so we did that for a couple months Ooh. and then, um, so we, then, then we started our first charter and it was 10 days and we were going to Vanuatu and, um, I was seasick the whole time <laughs> and it was brutal. And then, um, I don't know, I, I did a TED talk about this, but um, then the very next trip from Vanuatu to Fiji, we had to get to Fiji because we had some clients coming on board. And that was definitely the worst sale I've ever done in my life. We, I, we had, we everything were stuck in everything that could go wrong. We plotted to crash the, sink the ship to try to get insurance money out of it because we needed it to end. It was like the worst, we were, it was the worst 10 days wow. ever. And when I got to Fiji, um, the guy was was like, I'll never see you again. I know that I know. I'll never see you again. And it's really funny. I checked myself. I had to get off the boat (laughs) instantly. And, uh, I checked myself into a hotel just to like a, get some sleep. I hadn't eaten for 10 days. Uh, You know, we're not eating. We're not nothing, you know? And so, um, anyway, I, I, I was like, I gotta keep going. I gotta keep going. And I went for 10 years. What Yeah yeah. with him with him. No way. Yep, yeah. <laughs> so you just and needed
0: a couple of nights apart. No figured...
1: <laughs> no it wasn't it wasn't about that. It was it was I couldn't I knew if I quit I would regret it. Yeah. So the boat is a tool for um, exploration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really hate sailing. I really really hate it and I'd seasick all the time. But as a tool for exploration, it was just priceless. And And were you still documenting your experiences? And then, so, it became my platform for my photography career. Got it. Because I was in all these different places and all really remote, and, you know, we were just in incredible places all the time, and I was like, if I don't take this as an opportunity to be, to go back onto the, like, the other side of the lens and start taking pictures, I I will regret it for the rest of my life. And I was like, this is it.
0: Okay, before I, I want to unpack a couple of the things in there, but transition f- us from now you have this platform to explore you're taking pictures how do you then start to call yourself a professional are you starting to sell your work yeah you that, so to- that
1: that took time it was and that's an interesting process so i we started to have a lot of professional athletes on board i created with my, that partner I we, we we sold that boat that charter business and i said i don't want to do charters anymore like it's this is a horrible business model it's really bad. No, I don't want to do it. So we sold the boat in Thailand. And then um, he said, okay, well, we said, what's next? And I said, I don't know, but I'm not doing that. And so he said, okay, well, let's try to make a business model where this works. And I was like, I don't know if that's possible. So we just, it was crazy, but we we just we were living in Thailand at the time. And we just kind of wrote down on a piece of paper, um, like well, all the things that we really hated about the charter business. And then... The things that we loved about being out sailing around the world and we came up with this business model that was basically like a timeshare um which was five-year world kiteboarding expeditions on catamaran and it worked like a timeshare so people would buy into a cabin and it would solve all the the downside it solved all the downside of the previous charter business so we we gave ourselves a year and we had sold the boat in, uh, yeah, in Thailand. So we, after Gavin paid off his debt to his dad for that boat, um, we used the remainder, which was like, you know, I don't know, $15,000 and we gave ourselves a year to put that business model together. And we said, if we don't sell 70% of our shares, cause that's what it would take to go yeah. in that year. Well then we're not going to do it. Well, it won't work, but Hey, we tried. Yeah. And we learned a ton in the process. Yep. And we had nothing to lose at that point and everything to gain. And I, I think that's such an amazing position to be in. Yep. And we worked, we ended up moving to Hood River because that's like one of the- the, the Wind capital. Yeah, wind of, capitals. Yeah. So it's like kiteboarding mecca in the United States anyway. And um, we just worked on trying to raise money to buy a catamaran that we didn't have and we, we just worked our asses off trying to do it. And then, so that year comes up and we were, I think 60% sold. So we were selling a dream. We yeah. were a hundred percent selling a dream. We didn't even have the asset. Like that's how crazy it was. We had two dollars 200 bucks left between the two of us. Like we were eating canned beans and you know, nothing yeah. and sleeping on people's couches. And, um, so we, then we were 60% and then our, we had to notify our members, our owners for the timeshare. And we were like, we didn't make it to 70. We, unfortunately we'll have to,
0: you refund know, your refund your
1: money because we had put it <clears throat> offshore into an account and just, you know, didn't touch it. And, uh, we said, we'll have to, it won't, unfortunately we can't make it go. And then finally, one of our members just said, what do you need to make it go? and we said oh well you know we need 20 grand well no like it was like a you know 100,000 or something okay. euros and then um he's like done and then
0: it just got real it
1: got so real <laughs> we you know went to italy we bought a boat within like 3 days sailed it across the pacific to trinidad and tobago there was nothing on it like all gavin had was a leatherman for a tool <laughs> and we just we just made it go and worked our asses off and then it grew and grew and grew and um so yeah that's i don't know i kind of went off on a side no, tangent fine, there but, but um
0: that's that's part of the narrative and, so and, and how do you our, translate so that p- into yeah, yeah so
1: part of that business because we were doing kiteboarding trips all the time in remote places we had a lot of professional athletes come on board mm. and i took that as an opportunity to really um with my photography like oh i can you know photograph these Famous athletes in yeah. these crazy places, so I was like, magazines will definitely do, take yeah. that. Like, as coming from the photo editing side, I yeah. knew, you know, I kind of I knew what would what would work and what would wouldn't, wouldn't work, and then um, yeah, so I just slowly started submitting to different magazines that I thought were relevant to the work mm-hmm. I was shooting, and then they were just slowly starting to get published, and then that just that just keeps slowly going, and then you know you get published more and more and more. And then the more you get published. And then also I was in, I was in places that most people weren't, well, didn't have access to and weren't seeing. So that, that was also gold. It was different content. Yeah. And I think if you have different content that's photographed well, it's like, it's the secret sauce, right? Different,
0: different, not better is the way I like to think. Different,
1: not better. And, um, but not shitty work either, you know, so it's got to have that combination to it. And, and the thing is that not that my work was really good, but I was always just trying to make it better. I was always just trying to work on how can I make my shots better? I was like constantly analyzing them, comparing them to other work I liked and trying to understand composition and go out and work on it, you know, just try different things and really, and I think that's so important. You know, you're just always trying to get better. It, well you know while well understanding you know the different the the content yeah. is different but yeah. also trying to get better
0: i'm sitting here in my mind telling myself a weird little story of how freakishly i mentioned it a second ago but freakishly aligned our universes are really so yeah you you worked it at mountain equipment College. yeah i worked at rei what
1: <laughs> really? the, the
0: way that I got into the photo industry was by looking at all the imagery they were using I had, I had lived in Steamboat before and was taking some photographs I submitted them and I got you know 500 bucks and a pair of skis with one picture but I, I went back to Seattle to go to graduate school to do what everybody else thought I should do and I was working in the ski shop part time at REI right. and I was looking at all the stuff on the walls and saying like I know I can take better more interesting pictures these right. are just generic
1: right. trash like, right.
0: so it was like how do I be different not just better than those folks. And it was REI right. versus at Mountain right. Equipment Call. And I didn't take an yeah. actual,
1: yeah. I had
0: a job. Um, but you didn't it was go just, sailing
1: around the world, did you? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I did not.
0: But then fast forward to, like, I just want to get better. And I noticed that it's about having the right people. I was deconstructing the work that yeah. I looked, liked. And yeah. it was, like, amazing, cool people who were doing what they loved. They were the best in the world at that. In crazy locations that other people weren't really willing to go or didn't have the means to go. And I was willing to eat tuna fish and beans to figure out a way to get to this, you know, to the Lauterbrunnen in Switzerland to take pictures of someone doing something crazy. It's fascinating. Yeah. And so part of what I know about my journey makes me want to ask this next question, which is there's a a gap between when you are... and your primary mode of being is in a timeshare parasailing. No, <laughs> or, not or parasailing. Sorry, sorry, parasailing. Parasailing's <laughs> the, yeah, the line sorry. behind the Right, that. that's <laughs> hilarious that I just said that. Um, para, paragliding and kite surfing, and all yes. the things that you were yeah. doing. And then there's another one which is the your identity right as a photographer, right? And so I think you know I, I like I think the words that we say to ourselves are very important, and the labels that we give ourselves are really important. So, talk to me about is there is there a line in the sand where you recognize that you know what I am a photographer primarily, and the you know you said it earlier the boat was a vehicle, yeah. but was yeah. there a shift in your mind at yeah. some point where you went from I I am a guide on this tour boat or providing these experiences for our right. guests,
1: or, or am I entrepreneur? Yeah, because that's what i was at the time yeah, right yeah. and i i didn't intend to be an entrepreneur right. it was just it was what i needed to do to go travel around the world on the boat in remote places and do my photography yeah you know take <laughs> take advantage of this right. crazy experience yeah um yeah there was definitely i i would say a few years in i started as my photography became published more and more, and I started to get more demand, that started to consume more of my time. Mm-hmm. And because it's my passion, I I let it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So then all of a sudden, continue to feed the beast. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. and then so all of a sudden I was. You know, for a long time, the internet wasn't great in a lot of these places. And I remember I was, you know, I was going, trying to go to shore to try to find some place that had internet and like hiding in bushes with my laptop, trying to send out file, image files that, I mean, sometimes I'd be there for like, you know, 12 hours just trying to get a file out. And then I was like, screw this. Like, I really want to do this. So I, you know, I would fly back to the States for a couple months. I started flying back to Seattle, actually. A friend of mine lives. um a good friend of mine lives in Issaquah, so I'd go I, hang out in Issaquah, and just do like two months of of work, all that work, yeah, yeah. photography work, and then fly back to the boat. So that started happening, and then and then I I think my self identity really started shifting then when yeah. people said, "What do you What do you do?" I would say, "I'm a photographer," because I felt more aligned with that than more connected than, yeah. more connected than being an entrepreneur. So, yeah. Crazy fast, and then you start to get. At first, it's a horror. Like it, it feels wrong yeah. to say you're a photographer. Yeah. you feel uncomfortable with it, and then you know, then then you get. It gets more. It gets it's like anything. The yeah. first time you try yeah. it on, it, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and you feel like an imposter the yeah. whole time, like even still, like, yeah. you know, I don't. Pinch yourself. Yeah. yeah I don't know. <laughs> you're I, in, in
0: Boulder, judging a photo contest yeah. and from, you know, entries in from all over the world. And yeah. you're Like, wait a minute. I'm the one who's picking yeah. the winner yeah. of this thing. Yeah. I, I should be the student. I should be submitting. Right. Because um, you so,
1: always feel like you're learning. For I mean, sure. As a photographer, it's just, you always oh, feel like a, it never stops. Yeah. That's why it's great.
0: Um, okay. So that's. I think the first thread that I wanted to explore if you remember the second one was around uh, just the willingness to to live a non-traditional lifestyle but um, part of that I need I want to interrupt because you just said this thing about an imposter um, always learning like how much of that is still true for you today
1: I mean I think I think a lot of it is and I, I I wouldn't say so much in the, the actually, the photography realm. I mm. think it's more in the mm-hmm. business side yeah. of it, realm. Like, I think as artists, I'm, I'm assuming here, but I think most of us, we love do, making our art, but we don't know anything about the business side of it. Yeah. And then, but that's such a huge side of it. Yeah. I mean, you can make the greatest photographs in the world, and if you don't get them out into the world properly, you know, nobody's going to know who you are. And... Then, then that's the biggest challenge and so for me that's a hundred percent the biggest challenge and and but because it's such a large majority of what I do yeah it keeps me in that imposter syndrome all the time
0: right and you're asking for ridiculous rates for like, yeah. who's gonna pay me 50 grand to do fill in the blank What's and then, a... then when they write the check you're like
1: yeah you're like what <laughs> like I would have slept in the ditch uh, <laughs> <laughs> like and suffered typhoid (laughs) fever to uh to just probably go do the experience that it's about the experiences right so
0: yeah um all right that's helpful also in there you talked a little bit about um submitting your photos and sitting in the bush and sending you know photos back and then moving back to to do that on a you know intervals where you could actually interact and makes me want to think about I've, i've heard you say in other interviews about how people should look at their work and submit it Right. and here we are judging a photo contest in yeah. Boulder, and, you know, from around the world in Boulder, yeah. Colorado and it occurred to me as I was doing my judging and we both reviewed yeah. like I don't know how many they took it from 3,000 down to yeah. 500 photographs or something right. and I saw mistakes there that I was making as a oh, yeah. young aspiring yeah. artist and to me this isn't about a photography contest but it's about sort of Understanding your own work and how others might see it and this is true. I think for any discipline design or even entrepreneurship and trying to sell or pitch an idea like How important packaging and Selection and what you're gonna focus on what you're gonna submit for example So I've heard you talk a little bit about it and I was intrigued by your answers. I was wondering if you could share Because there's so many people who the the gap between where they are right now and where they want to be has to do with getting their Work in front of the right people, right? So how did you think about that for your you know, transition to becoming a full-time creator and how do you think about it now?
1: Well, I, can't, I think I always emphasize and I can't emphasize it enough is that being critical of your own work. I mean, I think that is the most important thing that a lot of people don't do very well. Yeah. And it's a really hard thing to yeah. do when you have an emotional connection.
0: Yeah, you eat. were there at the moment, yeah, and you were to, like, I remember what I was thinking and yeah, feeling, and the and people been,
1: around, and the experience that was happening. Like, but the photograph is exactly. maybe not
0: the. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't yeah. capture that. Right?
1: Yeah. So, I think you know it's a really hard thing to do, but it's it is so important. I mean, only put forth your best work. I mean, even get other people to look at it but not just anybody like you don't want to get your family and friends and people are just going to praise you for it you want somebody who's actually critically going to give you honest feedback and has an eye for it um, to look at it and help you um, if you're if you're don't feel like you're good at it and i think it's a challenge for everybody like it's still a challenge for me because again we have these emotional connections to it um but being a photo editor i mean you get submitted stuff all the time and people like, you know, our time's our most valuable asset on this planet. And I don't want to look through three, four hundred photographs of the same frame or your whole ski trip or your whole whatever your expedition is. Right. You know, like that, It is to me, it's so hard to take. I actually think it's really hard to take great photographs. Yeah. You know, when you talk to really amazing photographers, they'll say, oh, I m- might have seven out of my whole career That are really great, and and I I firmly believe that because I, I'm so critical of my work that for me to get one that I like is I don't want to say impossible, but it's hard. Yeah, it's really. You know, it's so hard, and so you know I I hear this this comment all the time with oh everybody's a photographer nowadays, don't you, you know. Like how does that make you feel? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people taking pictures, but in my mind, there's a lot of people not taking it well. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then so I would get all these hundreds of photographs, and I was just like, you're not, you're not putting yourself in my position. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the the things that I always tell people: try to envision yourself being the editor and receiving thousands and thousands. Like, what would you? what would stand out in your mind? Like, what would you want? You would want a really tight edit, which yeah. is very telling of the photographer as well, yeah. if you can do that, be yeah. really critical. Don't waste my time, yeah. you know? And I, I often, when I, when I was a photo editor, people would come up to me all the time and say, oh, you know, in social situations, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm the photo editor for MAC. And they'd be like, oh, I just did this amazing backcountry ski trip and I have incredible photos from this trip. I'm going to send them to you. And I knew instantly that would suck. Yeah. I knew instantly yeah. because if somebody's going to tell me they have great photos, yep, like a bunch of them, yeah. <laughs> like even, even <laughs> how long have you been doing this right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, you knew they were bad. But if somebody came up to me and said, "Oh, I just you know recently did this you know expedition or whatever, and I, I've got some pictures, could I send them to you?" I'd be way more intrigued. Yeah. by that comment. Than I ever would by somebody telling me they had good imagery because I think when you when you become when you evolve as a photographer and you're critical of your work it is hard to you, I don't I don't know many people who say they have great their own photographs are great yeah you know it's just like that's that's crazy in the yeah, mind you right. know um, so
0: that's, well that's that's amazing I think amazing color the way that you know if you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and if you're like the way that I think and talk about photographs and I want to get your take here is if you send me you know 10 photographs and three are really good worthy of publishing and something three are mediocre and three suck Send I mean you know nine photographs let's say I'm i Put you as a photographer, and my, I catalog you as mediocre with maybe some talent.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And then so you're
1: you're 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 getting there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Versus if you just sent me those three that are amazing, right? I'm like, oh my god, I need to meet this person. Right. I want to get more e- of their work.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's well, a, you would probably go on Instagram right away yeah. and check out their feed. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: it seems like that is a that criticality is. A, a gap or an opportunity for a lot of people who, and again, we're talking about photography, but this is true with anything in, you know, anything creative is that, especially if you're trying to get your work seen or out there, like just put, how about how important it is to put your best foot forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, for this, for photo competitions now, I, um, I, I judge a few and I, I wish we would have put the caveat in, in the Roman don't know photos of Iceland. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cause there was a
1: Zillion? Yeah. I'm like, if I, even if I see a photo of Iceland, it's like, you know. But again, this is a really important thing. It's like, don't shoot what everybody else is shooting.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, everybody. I mean, how many photos of Iceland did we see in this competition? Of the
0: of the 500 whittled yeah. down from 3,000 like, is probably. I know. 200. I know.
1: It's an incredibly beautiful place. I'm not yeah. knocking it, but you know, that's this is There's the ten point. photographs
0: from the same exact location. Yeah, looking at the waterfall. It's but, like yeah.
1: that. I can't I do not yeah. submit. Yeah. Don't do what every, what you're seeing on yeah. Instagram. Like, do not do that. Yeah. Follow, figure out what's weird about yourself, yeah. what your little weirdness is. The
0: view that you have on life exactly. or the location. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. Because it's all unique and then just start, yeah. you know. I was, I, to go off topic a little bit, but I was recently at Adobe Max and I heard this great interview with um, M. Night Shyamalan, mm-hmm. the d- director. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about the creative process and how he's kind of used it as there's two columns. There's one column that, of stuff that we create that we have control over, and this the column that we don't have control over. So when you create something and put it out into the world, you have total control of that, but you don't have control of how people receive it. Yeah. Right? So sometimes you create something and they love it. And if you create it again, they love it. And so you, we start to get a little especially if you're successful you start to get a little jaded where you think that you can control this by doing this right and so he you know he talks about how it's so hard um because then you if you make something and then people don't like it then you start to think oh do i have to make something where people like it and then you start losing yourself right yeah because then you're you're making it for the wrong reasons and then that's where the the worst work ends up coming out, not your best work. And I thought that was a in, really interesting way to think so about it. So how do you it.
0: how do you manage it?
1: How do I manage it? It's super hard. It is really really hard. I think especially with social media now, and it you know comparison really is so bad. And I have this love hate relationship with social media. On the one hand, I I really struggle with it, and I I get a lot of um, weird feelings sometimes when I look through social media like I'm not I get you know you I think it evokes those senses of jealousy and you know uh, oh I need to be doing that and not enough and you know and I think the very nature of of social media is too it's not enough right so totally we're social animals also so our our
0: chemistry is designed to try and get us to fit in but
1: at the same time it's this amazing tool to share stories and you know a storytelling tool that is incredibly powerful um so yeah i have this really love hate relationship with it and i think how i try to check myself in those boxes is a lot of times is kind of like taking a break from social media and, and, and revisiting like my core values and what I really, like what really gets me fired up. I'm a big proponent of, um, listening to that, that thing in you, when you see something that gets you really excited, a lot of times you got to pay attention to it. You know, Uh, a lot of people don't pay attention to it.
0: We're actually taught to ignore it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But I, I try to really hone in on that. If I notice myself like really excited or happy by looking at something or experiencing something or hearing something, I try to like, wait a second, I got to pay attention to this. Like, what is it? And then I try to analyze it. I try to think about what is it about this that gets me, like, what boxes is this checking? Yeah. And then so when I'm to try to keep myself in this column, I'm trying to revisit those those core things that get me really excited, whatever they are, and what's really important to me. And another way that I do it is my brother is actually a bush pilot in Alaska, and he lives off the grid, and he is the most amazing human on the planet, and he lives this incredible life. And uh, for me, whenever I get, I go there to get a, to get a reset, because he, he, just spending time there and and you kind of relearn what's really important and what to focus on and I, every time I come back from there I'm always like oh yeah okay I can shut out the bullshit now you yeah. okay, know I can I can focus
0: speaking of reset yeah you recently had a major reset or you're in process right yeah, now rather I'm of in process. Of, um of sort of reestablishing a new true north or I don't I don't want to put words in your yeah. mouth but I'm I'm gathering from conversations that we had before we started recording um i'm wondering if you can walk us through the process that you just went through after deciding to um well i'll just i'll, I'll leave it at that so you're in the middle of a reset what is what is a reset and and was it voluntary or involuntary because we all go through this and, yeah. and i'm trying to help you know in the in your particular story there's so many people who are listening who are going through a transition in their life and and as someone who's achieved as much as you've achieved and lived this extraordinary non-traditional life what does a reset look like and can you tell us about yours
1: yeah I mean I I don't I mean I don't know if it's a reset it's just the word I'm using because it, it feels it seems like the most appropriate word um, but yeah I'm having I I'm having a crazy year this year um, in this this summer I was I ended up breaking my tailbone. I was train hopping for research for this project. I fell off the train and I broke my tailbone. And then I, I was recovering from that. And I, earlier in the year, I had started not feeling very well and I had a ruptured ovarian cyst, and uh, which when it ruptures causes a ton of pain. So I went to the doctor, got an ultrasound, and he said, oh, you've got a couple of uh, other cysts, but you know, most women get them and they just go away on their own. And so just keep an eye on it. And, Anyway, so then um, I think over the year it's been a up and down of me feeling okay and not okay, and I kept thinking I was a ovarian cysts, and then I broke my tailbone, and and then finally a few months ago I was like something's really wrong. Like I don't I don't know if it's the cysts or what it is, but something's really wrong. And then uh, went and got an ultrasound, and they found like two gallons of ascites in my abdomen, which is a, is a fluid which is commonly associated with a tumor. And then, so I got a CAT scan and they, they found a tumor off my ovary. And then, so they basically said, like I, you know, I have anywhere from one to four years to live and we don't know for sure until we operate and remove the tumor and do Uh, pathology on it and they told me in the middle of the operation yeah we won't know until we get it out and when you know right then we'll know yes or no if it's malignant or benign and if it's malignant we'll have to remove you know give you a full hysterectomy and remove whatever else we think we need to remove and then I came out of the operation and they you know I said doc like what's the status you know what's uh he's like well we still don't know He's like, we have to send it.
0: Like you promised, you told me. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, there's. It's so stressful going into that situation because it's just the unknown, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, I normally love the unknown, but when it's with your health, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's really, really, really scary. And then, uh, so yeah, coming out, I was like, what do you mean you don't know? And uh, he said, yeah, we we don't know. We got to send it to Harvard to to get it, you know, looked at more closely. And, uh, he said, and that'll probably take about two weeks. And I was like, what? like, yeah. what, you know, I, I've got to, you know, wait two weeks and, you know, potentially go back in and have... moments
0: of life or death. Yeah. Two weeks is like,
1: Oh man. It's yeah. And then finally well well, then I had internal bleeding and then they had to open me back up and give me some blood transfusions. And so the recovery from that was, was really brutal. And then, and then 10 days later he calls me and he's like, you're, you know, it's it's totally benign. You're you're okay.
0: Have a good night. Have a good life. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was just you know, from one moment I had ovarian cyst to one to four years to live to oh no, you're we got it. It's all good. You're gonna be okay.
0: All right, so I'm gonna now ask the question. I think it's on certainly on my mind, and I'm guessing it's on our listeners' minds. Um, so you have lost some people close to you, Chris, in particular. Yeah. You then took that trip, and that led to the best yeah, stuff in your life, living a different life than getting out of the cave that you were in as a photo editor. Right. And now you were faced with your own mortality. Um, and you've just now come out of that, you realize that you in fact aren't gonna die and you don't you have more than one to four years to live. Right.
1: So, oh then I'm actually okay. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, that's, yeah you're, that's, you're healthy. Yeah. Not only are <laughs> yeah. you not
0: gonna die in yeah. one year, but you're actually healthy. So what you know, what about those moments has like how do you look at those moments? Um, are you acutely aware of them now or do you look at them as a defining or are they important or not important? And what are you going to do differently now that you've had those experiences?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really funny as I was starting to heal, um, and just kind of the initial stages of leaving my house. Um, the people that
0: I started you say it, leaving your house, what do you well, mean? Well, because, back in Chris's, no, no, it no, with
1: well, this recent operation okay. with the tumor, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, I, I was recovering, and I was stuck in my house for a while recovering. And then I started leaving, and then the people who found out about my tumor started feeling sorry for me. And I was triggered; it was so much a trigger oh, wow. of when I was recovering from from Chris's death. Yeah, and it instantly—it was funny because instinctually I was like, I, "What? Like, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. Like, yeah. you don't understand. I have a renewed sense." of living and life that is invaluable. It's precious gift, precious, precious, precious. Cause you can't, no amount of money can buy this. You can't make this up. Like you, there's nothing you can do to get this fundamental deep life lesson of how, you know, how short life is, how pressured, how precious it is, and how to like not waste your time on things that make you unhappy. You know, I think, And I and I knew that with Chris's death and that that was one of the greatest gifts I got from his death. It was incredibly hard, but it was one of the greatest gifts. And um, again, that ties into my sailing. Like I seasick for 10 years, man, that is that sucks. But you know what? It was the most profound. I learned so many incredible lessons from that. And and then again during this tumor thing and get, you know I'm really 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 fortunate to um, come out of it unscathed. I know a lot of people don't, and um, but the fact that I did, it, it it you know we need these reminders. I knew I knew it from Chris, but you know as time you know one of the one of the things as humans we do really well is adapt. So you very quickly kind of in da- adapt into your old ways again. Um, so this was just another wake up call for me. I knew it and I knew it, but this is like, it's a fundamental reminder. And it was, it, for me, it was looking back and go, okay, Jody, you gotta stop d- again. Stop with the bullshit. Like let's, let's just re- reset. Let's revisit. What What do you really want to be working on? What do you really want to spend your time on? Who do you want to spend it with? You know, the experiences, what kind of experiences do you want to have? So I'm, I'm yeah, definitely in that place right now. And I'm, Really really fortunate to be in that place. I I, it is precious. This is a precious time for me um, Right now and I'm really excited (laughs) Because it really does feel like oh, yeah, the world's my oyster. What do I you know, what am I what am I gonna do? You know Um, that that has the most meaning for me and hopefully, you know, meaning for other people as well
0: amazing so while you're in this process of evaluating your next steps, um, I want people to be able to track you and follow you on the internet and, and through the next challenge and chapter of your life. So what are some coordinates, some places where people can go to track and listen and find out what you're up to?
1: Yeah, I would, I would say the main one now is Instagram and that's at Jody McDonald Photo. Um, Twitter, is it
0: McDonald or McDonald? It's
1: Mac, it's a MacDonald. I'm okay. Scottish, <laughs> not, not Irish. Um, uh, Twitter at um, Jody Photo, J O D I or J O D Y. J O D Y.
0: I know these things. I'm just yeah. getting you yeah. to like,
1: no, explicate them. Yeah. No. Yep. Uh, is my website. So you know, if you hit any of those, you will.
0: Well. You, you will find me. Thank you so much for sharing oh, your so story, great. and thank you. it's it's incredibly inspirational. And thanks for helping us understand that the hardest parts in life there's the biggest and most powerful messages and we gotta to learn to look at those yeah
1: um, well so it was so great chatting with you it was, it was a lot of fun i could keep chatting about the stuff forever so yeah. thank you yeah. and
0: and folks at home uh you know where to find jody's work now and you also do so much with conservation and awareness and with a handful of different projects so um if you want to get involved and help support her there are lots of mechanisms for doing so in your world and in instagram and on your website um, thanks so much for sitting down with us and and here in Boulder. I'm looking forward to tonight. It's gonna be yeah,
1: good. it'll be fun. Thanks, Chase.
0: Thank you. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, Actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I'm not quite sure how you you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time, and whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just wanna say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work. But please go check out I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed, hardcore, badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the Internet. All right, until again, uh, probably tomorrow, I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow, and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.